Hello and welcome to Act to Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Corinne. And I'm Tasia. And today we are talking about season two of Netflix's Heartstopper based on volume three of the graphic novel of the same name by Alice Osman. I totally jinxed us last time <laughs> we were here, Tasia, because I said, mm, maybe we'll record again in August. And it didn't we grow boss a little too close to the sun. We were, we were, um, you know, we needed a little humbling. We were feeling real good about ourselves for podcasting twice in a month. I know we used to do like weekly. Who, mm-hmm. who were those bitches? I don't know them at all. Um, couldn't be us. <laughs> those repeat COVID bitches. <laughs> they were indeed. Um, but Hey, we're here, um, midway through September. So that's actually pretty good. I can't complain about that. Uh, too much here. Heartstopper season two did come out the first week in August, but you know, some other queer properties came out that we wanted to talk about in the meantime. And uh, we had to prioritize something, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean this wasn't a priority or enjoyable. And I'm so happy to talk about it here tonight. I know I've been, I've been like just excitedly sitting on this for a month. So yeah. it's been, it's fun to revisit it now. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, it's a nice treat. Uh, before we dive into talking about Heartstopper, what are you into these days, Tasia? Um, well, I can't say it's quite an obsession yet, but I did recently start watching The Vampire Diaries for the first, first time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, with some people mm-hmm. based on just a lot of uh, peer pressure, basically, Got it. Um, which I'm always happy to bold to. So Excellent. I'm doing that. Um, I've also started reading a new series that I believe you are going to talk about. What? So take what? it away, Corinne. What pray tell could that be? <laughs> Is it something that I'm waiting on bated breath for your every update on? Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. I talked about it, I think, briefly the last time we were here in some podcast mm-hmm. that we did kind of recently. Um, oh, because we talked about Sherry Thomas last time. Uh yeah. And her wonderful historical romances. So after I read a bunch of those, I decided to get back into her Lady Sherlock series, which at the time of that recording, I'd only read the first book of There Are Seven. The series is is not complete. There's more to come. Um, but I have now read them all. And oh boy, what an obsession that turned out to be. I also think I said when we talked about last time that the romance was like a very small part of it. And I don't think that that's necessarily true now having read all seven, but I am like in deep, deep, deep <laughs> on on that aspect of things. Um, so essentially the Lady Sherlock series is a, um, a retelling of Sherlock Holmes uh, featuring Charlotte Holmes, who uh, for reasons ends up becoming an kind of independent woman in Victorian London and offers out her services as Sherlock Holmes. It's kind of a front that she puts on um, because she has all the um, same characteristics that you would expect of, of Sherlock Holmes in the story, or excuse me, the series does just so many interesting things with, with gender and societal structure and the arc of all of these characters over seven books is just so delicious and so well well done and and well executed by Sherry Thomas. It's just been an absolute joy to read. And I, I, I'm not like a big mystery person. Mysteries are not my cup of tea when it comes to genre generally. And I can't even tell you necessarily how each mystery shook out or like anything like that, because the way, again, she weaves these characters into the specific mystery of the book and then how it ties into the overarching, like, conflict of the series just and so well done the night i am waiting anxiously for her to announce the next book because um i haven't like read anything officially announcing it yet but the way it ended um it, it cannot possibly be the end so i'm really excited to have more because oh god what a fun journey that was loved it i wonder i'm so i'm so excited to have something to just like really lose my shit over mm-hmm. um like you introduced me to like all the the lisa Claypus verse mm-hmm. uh, romance novels and that was just like a journey you know like mm-hmm. I, I, how many books in total like i don't know not even done a I'm lot saving like a lot old yeah. ones of hers yeah but that was such a fun like obsession journey to go on and i know that this one because we have such similar tastes that this is gonna be very similar and i've read 
one that that one uh Sherry Thomas historical um so I really I really like her style I really liked that book um and then I read the first Lady Sherlock book which you told me like that it was good not great but I thought it was pretty great I think I read it at five stars it was really and you know what like I always say that mystery is not like my thing as well that mm-hmm. I'm not like, but like every time I read a mystery book, I get so sucked into the whole mystery part of it that I'm like, I think mysteries are my thing. I just don't really read them ever because yeah. it's not like necessarily the first thing I grab. Well, and because they don't have romance and like at the exactly. end of the day, I, I want need, a romance, but this one... I need people to make out in the books that I read. So that's kind of what is guiding my, my reading choices most yeah. of the time. And it, it strikes the balance in a nice way too. You can tell, you know, obviously she has this background in writing historical romances. And I actually saw something she wrote online once about how the mystery genre allows her to push back against a lot of the ingrained patriarchy that's still even really important in romance you know the emphasis on marriage and children is the end all mm-hmm. be all and and having that be so intrinsic to the happily ever after and the lady sherlock series is really playing with with that as part of um the interrogation it's making with with how things were back then and how things are now and i and it's it's done really well in a way that's not alienating if you're a fan of romance, uh, but it's kind of challenging a, a lot of those things within that particular time frame. And yeah, I love it. It's so good. She's so smart. Um, so yeah, I, it, it thrills me that you uh, liked the first one as much as you did. And I can't wait to hear more from you on it uh, because I've, I've finally like chilled out a little bit. I finished it about a week ago and I was like feeling bereft. I'm feeling yeah. a little better now. I think it's funny. Cause I'm like, like when I finished undergrad or whatever, I was like, how did I read so much when I was in school when like I was doing school stuff? And then when I'm not in school, I'm like not reading that much. And now that I'm in school again, I'm like, I want to read like, I, and I can't read anything. Um, and I'm think I think that it's like when I have breaks from school, like, you know, winter break or whatever, that's, I would just like read a ton during that time. And I yeah. feel myself like mentally stockpiling all the books that I'm going to just hit as hard as I can as soon as I have like five minutes to myself that's a great thing to look forward to mm-hmm. um I look forward to that for you as well <laughs> um should we talk about Heartstopper? yes so I did not go back to listen to our season one episode but I do remember us talking about season one and liking a lot of it but also I don't know if we're just like two jaded old bitches at this point where a lot of it felt like a little too saccharine for us Mm -hmm. um we weren't the biggest fans like the music it felt a little too like manic almost at times Mm -hmm. like it just uh, something about the tone of it uh just was a little too much on on the sweet side for me um and I think you felt the same way too uh I didn't feel that way nearly as much in season two. Yeah. There's literally like one thing in it that I'm like, this is a little overly wholesome, but mm-hmm. it's in service to like another plot thing. So I get it. Got um, it. And then I, I don't want to spoil like our, you know, best and worst adapt- adaptation mm-hmm. choices, but like, I think like the cursing is a little bit a part of it too, because the, the graphic novel they do like, they, I mean, they talk like teenagers, like, like real teenagers talk, uh, which isn't necessarily everybody's dropping f bombs, but like when when yeah. it's when there's zero amount of that, and it's very like, I don't know, some of it feels a little overly wholesome, and it's fine, it doesn't bother me, um, but it is kind of noticeable when I reread the comic, and I'm like, oh, there's so much more like language in here, and you know they got to keep yeah. their ratings so that this is getting to its targeted audience which I I totally get but it does kind of it almost gives off the impression of like this is what adults think that teenagers talk like like eight-year-olds you know like yeah but that's it's such a minor quibble like it's not even yeah I think that in season one as well like and I think part of what you're talking about like ties into it but it did kind of feel to me like Nick and particularly Charlie felt a little bit more like um, just like the outlines of who they should be 
in a lot of ways, which isn't what you would think would happen from going from a graphic novel to a TV show. You think that there would be like more filling in of that. Um, and I felt particularly like Charlie felt a little bit too like it was like different to me than he felt on the page. And I felt like this season, both he and Nick balanced out a little bit more and they both felt more like real people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of surprised when I went back and read volume three um, ahead of season two, you know, slipping bef- through it again today before we recorded, like even Nick in that it's just, you know, you get so little of, of their, um, their thought processes and you, you don't see their expressions in the same way you do in the TV show. And so mm-hmm. it comes off sometimes even in the novel is just kind of like emotion, 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 emotion without like the ebbs and flows that all of us show in mm-hmm. real life when we are having these intense emotions and then we kind of rein it back in. So I really felt like the, that balance for both of them um, was, was, was better this season. Um, yeah. And I just really felt way more connected to to them than I did in season one. So that was a great surprise. Um, I like the music more this season. You can tell mm-hmm. we got a little budget upgrade there with that T-Swift dropped in the finale. I know. <laughs> finale. I was like, yeah. I was like, budget. who did they? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> what did they do to get this uh, needle drop? Yeah, I just, I just really enjoyed um, how they did all of season two, I think, compared to season one. And just like a subtle change, but... It seemed to me to make a big difference. One of the things I continue to enjoy, I think, in season two, which we talked about, I think, when it came to season one as well, is the expansion of some of the side characters. And a little of this goes into some of my favorite adaptive choices, but I really liked the expansion of um, Tara and Darcy this season and making um, Darcy's mom the sort of stereotypical bad mom, um, mm-hmm. anti-gay mom. Uh, and I thought that that was, was done really well. And I like particularly how they tie that into Darcy's like inability to tell Tara that she loved her. Um, and I thought that that was a great, um, way to kind of tweak some of the things that are in the, in the graphic novel, like Tara and Charlie have that conversation where she's like, you and Nick like love each other so much. Like I wish, um, Darcy would be like that. That that's a change from the graphic novel because that whole part of Tar and Darcy's story isn't in there. So I liked how it just again flushes them out more and made them feel like more well-rounded characters. Um, yeah, it just broke my heart <laughs> to watch at the end, but um, yeah, it, I thought that was all really well done. Like the physical anxiety I felt watching the end, like waiting for Darcy to like respond to one of the DMs or to like show up. It was like genuinely stressful. Yeah, it really was. Um, and I have to talk to you about my boy Isaac again this season. So good. Um, such a great um representation, such a sweet journey in a, in a way that I didn't find saccharine like just I find mm-hmm, him very yeah. endearing and um that feeling too of like being the only one of your friends who's not coupled off he and... literally watches them all pair off and like run off together it's so it's so sad yeah and like wondering what's wrong with him mm-hmm. and 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 I liked um I forget his name now, but the the sweet boy James, I think, interested in t- in him, mm-hmm. and I liked how that all resolved as well. And it's just such great represent representation, so thoughtful, and such a that great was such a great yeah it. journey for him to like you know really give it a try. He wanted he wanted it to work. He wanted it to to yeah. you know to have that like romance with him. But it was just like he he had to realize that he had to try it and then realize you know that's not it's yeah. not what I want. Yeah. So ah, enjoyable. Um, I hope hope he's happy next season. I just want to give him a big hug. I'm I trying know. to think. I had a note at one point of some of the things that he was reading this season. And I think it it got deleted I or removed from my phone. There was, yeah, there was a bunch of I mean, obviously there's a bunch of stuff, but um some stuff I wasn't expecting. Like I think there was an Emily Henry in there. Yes, that's yes, I I thought mm-hmm. that that's what it, I couldn't tell if it's just because before we started recording here, I was telling Tasha about how I just um, did a reread of 
of book lovers via audio and I was like wait always on our just, Emily like, Henry shit <laughs> I'm like am I inceptioning in that I remember Isaac reading that because I just read Emily Henry again um but I like uh those nods there mm-hmm. to what the general public is reading as well I want to be in a book club with Isaac so like I just want to be his best friend and be in a book club with him seriously he's a good he's a good boy Um, let's talk in that same vein, just about this friendship group, because I felt like it was really dialed in this season Mm -hmm. and I loved it. And I think the biggest change in that regard is like with Nick, because in the book, he is around them a lot. Like it's the same like roommate setup, except swap, um, Isaac for Alan, who's his, uh, book, um, replacement or he's the show replacement, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm he's there with all of them but in the in the book charlie doesn't want to tell tau for a while about nick because tau accidentally outed charlie and he's like he's got a big mouth and i don't want nick to be outed in the same way and i appreciate that style of conflict in the book but i'm so glad we don't have it in the show because one of my favorite things of season two was the Nick and Tao friendship. So like slightly antagonistic friendship. It was yeah. really good. And like in the, it's there in the book too. Like the conversation they have in the hotel room in Paris where Tao thinks he's screwed things up with Elle and he doesn't think he's good enough for her. Like that's there, but it doesn't have the same, um, quite the same vibe because they really do have like this, this reluctant friendship going on, but in a way that makes it seem like they, could be real friends and I think that that is so um it's so nice it's kind of like a different twist on like how Nick's coming out journey unfolds because like he has this safe space and really supportive group of who are truly becoming his friends around him um and it's really more than about telling like the general public. So like he, it, it's helpful to me to watch on the show and see him, him have support um, through this group of friends versus in like the graphic novel. It's more just like he, like no one knows. And it's just, you know, they're slowly telling people here, there, there, and there. And it feels like way more of a secret. Not that it's not mm-hmm. in the show, but like it's, it's, he's just more, is a more supportive community around him. And that's just like really nice to see. And it yeah. makes me really happy for him. And it's like, he's, he's has these genuine friendships with this group of people and he's developing them in a way that he never had with like all of his sports friends. Mm-hmm. And that he doesn't even really seem to have much in, in the graphic novel in the same way. So I just, I, that made me smile so much this season. I love that group. They're all precious. Yeah. We, we talk a lot about like queer found family on this podcast and this yeah. is like, it was just popping off in this season. Yeah. And I love that for all of them. Yeah. I mean, speaking of their queer found family, Imogen has a great little journey, a little arc this season. Yeah. The number one arc is losing the skunk hair from season one to two. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and that, there one. were some glow ups this season. Yeah, we'll we want to talk about that for yeah. sure. But um. Yeah, so she, and and I I appreciate like I understand God what a what a complicated situation right where she's dating this like shitbag who mm-hmm. is, um, closeted and does not I clearly does not actually like her, mm-hmm. but they can't tell her that even as as friends to her because it would be outing somebody else. So like that mm-hmm. is like a really good kind of crunchy mm-hmm. organic source of um, conflict there, mm-hmm. which I really appreciated. And and I like that she kind of comes to the realization that he sucks on her own. Nobody has to say like, oh, he doesn't like you. He's gay or whatever to her, you know? Um, yeah. She just kind of is like, no, actually you're a shit boyfriend and I'm over this. So I love that for her. And then- <laughs> There's this great, so like there, there's this, you know, in the queer community, there's a lot of like, oh, that person that is like the extreme ally, extreme ally, like you, a few years later, that person's going to come out as queer. Like that's usually <laughs> how that goes, right? Yeah. Um, And so there's that scene where she's like, she's like, oh yeah, I'm an ally. I'm an ally. And it's like, mm. yeah. <laughs> and then like, I love that, like 
that shot of her at prom where she's watching um Sahar. What is her Sahar uh playing on stage and yeah. you see like there's definitely like a totally. moment which she's I love so for her. flummoxed. Yeah, I really liked everything they did with Imogen this season. I to go back to my the point of like Nick finding like his true friends. I love like the beginning of the season where he um invites her over and like she's kind of almost like the 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 test case of like okay I'm gonna tell this Mm -hmm. person who knows me in this like other facet inside of my life that I'm queer and she like kind of figures it out herself but I just think that that's really nice that Nick has her um and yeah I agree everything um with her this season was great and who would have thought that again like when you started season one that Imogen would be um a fave but I did like her a lot this season uh, I did too. And I we we should talk about um, what's his name Ben mm-hmm. in this season too because they I continue to think that that's like a good expanded version of um the book character right. that has been um I really liked Nick's confrontation with him. Yeah, and um. And Charlie's like, this is another, another great adaptation choice, I think, is that, like, he takes words, like, you know, that there's that scene where Harry come, comes to the party, and um, he's like, oh, like, I'm sorry, I was homophobic, blah, 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 can I come in? And Charlie just goes, no, and slams the door on him, and that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. Well, in the graphic novel, he has this whole thing where he's like, you don't get to ambush me into forgiving you. Like, yeah. that's not how this works. And they gave that dialogue to Charlie, to Ben instead. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was a really great choice because Ben needed to hear all of this. Um, Charlie yeah. gets to really have his peace with with Ben and tell him, like, I never want to see you again. I hope you become a better person so that you don't hurt anybody like the way you hurt me, but I don't care to be there to see it. Yeah. Um, which is also a good kind of lead into, like, we, we found out later that um, the actor is not going to be, uh, the actor who plays Ben is not going to return for, for their seasons. So that was kind of a good just put a little lid on that whole Ben situation mm-hmm. and totally. let Charlie get his like real closure, get his real, like, you know, confrontation with him. Yeah. Just really, really thoughtful stuff, like across the board with all of the kids this season. And I, um, yeah, just kind of loved it all. Um, let's talk about, I kind of want to talk about the moms of Heartstopper because, uh, that's, it was kind of a big thing this season with Darcy's mm-hmm. mom. We already talked about a little bit. Still can't believe Oscar winner Olivia Coleman is in this the show. <laughs> um, you know, it really struck me more uh, this season than um, I kind of ever really picked up in the books because she is like a great mom to Nick, but like I think she botches the the David situation a little bit. She's like playing trying to play. Uh, the referee a little bit too much yeah when you need to just come down on one side and exactly yeah, like that that scene uh like on the stairs when he's like you know he's like oh why did you tell why did you tell um him david David. she's like Mm -hmm. i didn't i didn't and and he's like oh i saw your pictures of your blog and he like he's like it's total bullshit or whatever and she's like don't curse and like that's her that's your response to that situation like no exactly um also the whole like dinner party scene was um a very interesting adaptive choice i'm not prepared to say that it was my least favorite adaptive choice which is why i'm uh, not talking about it in this prelude section but like Mm -hmm. who thought that was a good idea like really um and it was it was nice to like see everyone kind of come down on david but i've been like wow i i we needed some of that tension in there and i think it is a good um it's a good way to like flesh out a lot of Nick's anxieties about coming out. Cause it's like, if you can't even feel safe in your own family to like be who you are, like yeah. what's going to be like to, to come out in public. But that episode, man, well, it's not quite hit, the bear again, Christmas <laughs> dinner oh, level of anxiety, but it is a stressful dinner party. Well, yeah. And, and his mom just kind of sitting there and not necessarily yes. like having his, I mean, clearly she's, she's proud of him for like standing up and saying his, saying his piece and confronting his father and everything. But really what I think that that scene does more than anything else, besides to come out to his dad, which is almost just incidental, um, is to show Charlie's parents, like Nick's mm-hmm. character, 
Um, because again, back to our like weird moms this season, um, Charlie's mom was very weird about finding out that Nick was Charlie's boyfriend. Like she's, you know, she, it's she's fine with her son her, with her son being gay and she's supportive. But then when the reality of that shows up in the form of Nick, she's suddenly like not cool with it. Yeah. Or she's she's weird about it. Not necessarily not cool, but she's weird about it. Yeah. And then I think when she sees that Nick um has the character that he has and, yeah. and cares about Charlie the way he does, then she's like, Okay, I, I will like back off a little bit. Well, in in the book. In the, the graphic novel she is a little bit more we don't really necessarily get a ton of it in volume three but in later volumes like she's the a little bit more um just kind of like strict for no reason mm-hmm. and in the show it kind of has changed to charlie doing poorly in school and that's why she um kind of has these feelings against nick and i, I guess i do appreciate that it's like tied to something and i think they also probably did it because darcy's mom is the bad mom for no reason like horrible mom Mm -hmm. so like can't also have charlie's mom like be horrible for kind of i don't know i feel like there's there's like real world like reference for that like there are the straight up homophobic parents but then there's also the kind of parents that are like surface level i'm supportive uh you're you're gay that's great cool whatever but then once they're faced with that they're like, oh, this makes me more uncomfortable than I expected it to kind yeah. of thing, which is, you know, it's not as bad as the straight up homophobic parent, but it's not great either. So like there are like, you know, there's there's a scale here and she falls somewhere on that. And I think that's reason enough. I think it's kind of not to get into your like most hated things about this season or whatever, but like I think that's why making Charlie kind of uh, slack off in school or whatever and have that be the reason why she's coming down on him is kind of dumb because yeah. you don't need that. She can just be somebody who is theoretically okay with her son being gay, but yeah. in practice, not so much. Yeah. That would definitely be more interesting spin on things uh, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but the real MVP mom of this season is Tao's mom. Just yeah. the best type the best. woman. <laughs> There's that really sweet scene where she says that like he and Al remind her of him and his dad who's passed yeah. away. And like, it's just, so precious i really liked it um i love everything tao and all the season major mom goals major mom goals she was great yeah she was so good um but yeah i i really loved everything tao and all this season we talked about it a lot last season too they're just whoo they're firing on on all cylinders they're Mm -hmm. both very tall statuesque beautiful (laughs) children they are so beautiful (laughs) like i mean if we're doing these superlatives like hottest couple yes yes um for sure they're stylish in their own way even though like tal looks like you know something out of some like woman in the 90s with some of those pants (laughs) he's wearing but like in a good way he is beautiful he is he is beautiful um, um this season it was like distracting almost i'm like this is like you have william gow on your show do you know how hot he is like he's there on your show this is really difficult to watch and be like <laughs> yeah uh the oh the the glow up man the yeah it's very real there was only so i we might as well talk about it now but um so tau and l's first date mm-hmm. um it felt like there was a lot happening um, on the road to them going to Paris and kissing and like actually getting together that like they needed to kind of spin their wheels for a while mm-hmm. and build up this tension before they could get there. And so I feel like this date and like all of its, you know, um, foibles felt very contrived to me. Um, yeah. Like I I did not like that Tao shows up for their date or whatever and he's got this haircut and she sees that as a red flag. And I think that's yeah. that's reading a little bit too into it. Like, oh, he wants to change himself for me. I liked the old him. Like, maybe he just wanted a haircut. Maybe it made him feel good. Like, yeah. why is this a red flag? It felt like she, through that whole date, that she was kind of, like, he was clearly nervous, being a little awkward. He was clearly trying to impress her. Yeah. And she gave him such a hard time about it that it was uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. Like, I felt like it was just a little bit more than it needed to be and that she, like, just didn't want to be there. 
And I thought that was a disservice to her character to make her kind of a jerk to him for no reason. Like that's your friend of how many years? Like, you know that he's nervous. Maybe just like cut him a little bit of slack. The towel stuff is very clearly laid out in terms of his anxiety about what this could mean for their relationship going forward if they choose to go down this path. And I I think what the show is trying to tell us is that Elle has a lot of the same anxieties, but it's like manifesting differently. Like she's just like Mm -hmm. twisting herself into knots about like, well, like maybe this isn't what we should be doing. And it wasn't as clearly executed, I don't think, as the Tao stuff. And I agree that first date's just kind of it's it's hard when she's he's clearly trying to do something that she likes, but obviously he's also this like pretentious snob and doesn't mm-hmm. like the movie that he took her to see and yeah. he like, can't turn that off. He's like, Well, you liked it. And it's like it's thoughtful, but it's wrong. And she takes that as just like a I gotta cut and run, like we can't do this right now. But yeah, so even with those like little hiccups though i think everything that we ended up getting with them yeah it it ends up i mean yeah it turns out so great in the end it was just like that that date really or like the lead up date is so around the date it's funny because like i thought that the date like i kind of had forgotten that the date does happen in the book um Mm -hmm. but then i when i was looking back through before we recorded like it's there but it's so brief it's like two pages and it's like that's it and it's this whole beautiful montage where like he's got his camera and a little a couple comes up to him and asks to take his picture and she's like looking at him and she's so charmed it's just it was it how was are you done. not gonna fall in love on I, that date no, seriously. impossible impossible um you know yeah that was oh it was so good um let's talk about charlie in this season and how the show handled his um, eating disorder issues and his mental health issues kind of how they compare to the graphic novel because um, I I personally I think I liked how the show um, kind of just slowly started seeding it in until it kind of escalated um, mm-hmm. in the um in the book, like early on in volume three, Charlie tells Nick that he's having a lot of anxiety about Nick um, coming out because it's bringing back a lot of memories. And he he got to a really you know dark place and was was exercising some self harm um, behaviors in in um, dealing with his own coming out trauma and and so that and that's obviously very important and valid. Um, but I like that the show again like built to it a little bit more. Um, some, one thing I think, I guess I would say about the graphic novel, which I love dearly is it does kind of just like drop you into these issues a lot of times. Um, again, you can only do so much in, in a graphic novel and there is a lot of depth to these characters, but you can still only really see like snapshots of their lives in a lot of ways. Um, so I liked, you know, his kind of efforts to kind of hide it from Nick a bit more, um, and not be so upfront about it right away. Um, because I don't, it's great that he is and he does that in the book, but I think it's probably more realistic that it's more like this, where you're kind of yeah. just trying to hide it, hide it, hide it until it boils over and you can't hide it anymore. Um, so I, also I thought that think, was really well done. Yeah. I also think it's a great signal that like, to show us how deeply into Charlie and Nick is because he's the only one who sees these things and like Nick, you know, Charlie's had these friends for years and he's had these, these issues for years, but Nick is the one that's like, so in, into him, I guess, like just in, in his like orbit that um, just so like synced up to him that he's the only one who really notices these habits that he has. And like, it's crazy. I, I have fallen into several like TikTok heartstopper holes and people are pointing out just like stuff that I hadn't even noticed. Like, you know, there, there's that very subtle like seeding of Charlie's eating disorder throughout the show. But um, there's even like more subtle stuff that I didn't pick up on. Like when he's like making a bowl of cereal, but he picks up the cereal like while he's talking to somebody and just kind of like waves it around the bowl and then sets it down and pours a little bit of milk into the bowl. So it looks like he's poured cereal into like it, but he hasn't poured anything into it. Wild. Like the, yeah. it's just so well done. It's so 
subtly and just kind of realistically peppered in that you're really only picking up on that if you're really paying attention and Nick is really paying attention. Yeah. And that again shows, you know, the power of the, of TV versus Mm -hmm. the graphic novels that you can kind of pepper that in, in a way that it's, it it feels like you're not not just being like info bombed with it. Right. Um, Yeah. I like, it's funny that we haven't like really talked about Nick and Charlie this season <laughs> but like this season literally opens with like a makeup montage which mm-hmm. love that for them um it, it just I really think that they have um like they had a good connection in season one but I feel like the two of them this season were like so good together I think Joe Locke kind of stepped up his game like I remember us being very impressed with Kit Connor and season one that continued in season two but I think that Joe's just gotten stronger and Mm -hmm. they're so good together yeah I feel like it really flies in the face of like every writer director whatever like showrunner who has said oh you can't get your characters together and in a happy relationship because then all the all the drama is gone and and there's nothing interesting to write about people who are happily in love like, fuck you. You're just yeah. a bad writer because <laughs> there yeah. is um, these two are happy and love this entire season. There's still issues. There's still conflicts. There's yeah. still stuff to work through. Um, and it doesn't have to come at the expense of their relationship and their love yeah. for each other. Yeah. Um, I was reminded a lot. I wasn't going to talk about it. I told myself not to talk about it because another long running obsession of mine and yours um, is the book's heated rivalry and the line <laughs> by Rachel Reed, which I just did a reread of them. So they're top of mind, but like, it's a similar thing where like um, heated rivalry is about these two rival hockey players who fall in love with each other. And like the first book is them like coming together. And then the long game is them like being together, but in secret and obviously in love and happy with each other, but there's still like conflict to be had. And I felt mm-hmm. like I was, when I was, preparing to talk with you about this day I was thinking a lot about the long game having just read this like in terms of the feelings of isolation when you're like you're you're keeping the secret and you're trying Mm -hmm. to decide how it's going to to come out and what support do you have around you and I think that that's why I was so struck with like the support that Nick has because the in the in the long game one of the characters doesn't really have any support when he's keeping the secret And, and anyway I I I agree that that is such a a great space to play with when it comes to romance, like the what comes after yeah. that they, they get together. Um, and especially too for teenagers. I mean, um, Alice Osman has always been very transparent and particularly in like the webcomic of Heartstopper about the fact that these two are end game, which, you know, you can debate whether or not we want to have our high schoolers um, have this depiction of romance that ends with you like staying with your high school sweetheart forever. But, um, you know, she, but she has um, peppered in through the webcomic, like flashes of them in the future. So they know they're together forever. But I think that um, this is such a great example of, uh, again, dealing with conflict, dealing with really important issues together for a long time makes it a lot um, more of a rich relationship and something that you can see um, withstanding the test of time because of how much they have to go through together when they're mm-hmm. younger. And it's just, it's nice. I just had a flashback to like Ronan and Adam and I just like started kicking my little legs. We're just hitting all of our favorite <laughs> couples here. What? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else we can hit on queer couple bingo that we need to talk about and relate them to Nick and Charlie? Our listeners really should have like a bingo card for every time we say someone's a good boy or every time we say like (laughs) queer found family. But yes, read the Raven cycle and also heated rivalry and long game. Thank you. Bye. Yes. Um, (laughs) Last thing I briefly want to talk about are the teachers. Um, Oh, Yes. Because I, they're in the book. Like, this is not like a show invention that they have this romance, but it was the build even up in the show is so much better. So, so better. much better. They're um, so this, is, <laughs> this is another thing I was, uh, what I kind of hinted at earlier talking about um, how kind of like maybe slightly overly saccharine and wholesome the show is sometimes um, is that like, like literally no teenager ever would 
like run their drunk friend to their teachers as like the first move. You know, your friend's yeah. like, oh, I might throw up. Let's run immediately to the teacher. Let's all narc on ourselves. Um, really, this only happens so that Darcy can throw up on the bed and they can have a there's only one bed moment. I love this for them. But still, every time I think about it, every time I see it, I'm like, I don't care how wholesome these teenagers yeah. are. You let your friend throw up in the toilet. And then if it gets worse, then I can see it happening. You know, like, I feel like there are better, more like, think moments that won't like pull you out of the show yeah to get like there's only one bed like there we can do that without yeah making your teenagers look like eight-year-olds there was a lot of contrivances that had to go around with the whole sleeping arrangement in paris because like in the book tau doesn't know that nick and charlie are together so like he specifically slits them up because he think he knows that charlie has a crush on nick and he's like i don't want you to have to like share a bed with this guy who like isn't into you back which is like, so very nice <laughs> but, like, exactly but like in the show they know they're together and it's just like come on guys like let yeah. them share a bed yeah. and so yeah, and yeah the they- contrivance there is how is like oh i didn't want you to feel nervous or whatever yeah, about it's, it's like, like why don't you and at is- that point why don't you be like no i'm fine i'm gonna share a bed with yeah. my boyfriend you know which is funny too because like a lot of the same plot points um romance wise are in the book as are in the show but i actually think like in the show um even though they're saying some of the same things like in terms of um how they kind of want to take things slow and like they have that moment where um like we'll do it someday and charlie's like oh will we but <laughs> But like in the in the book, it feels a lot more chaste, and in the show, it definitely felt a little bit more like, yeah, we're teenagers and we're like nervous, but like we're totally gonna take things to the next level someday, which I think is 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 great and like very realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, but to turn back to the teachers, I just I I really love them. Mr. Farouk was like cracking me up all season. He was so dry, um, and just like perfect. The actor thought, playing him was just. 10 out of 10 perfect delivery on like literally every every moment he was in the line where he's like i need a drink and um what's name's like you probably shouldn't be drinking alcohol he's like then i need a croissant i was like respect it that's also a book line but um yeah i just i really like them after my own heart yeah yeah and it felt more i always kind of felt like when reading that part of the comic it just kind of felt like thrown in and again this is just another example of how the tv show can flush things out and make it feel like not at all weird that all of a sudden we're getting this teacher romance uh it was great yeah good season um let's talk about superlatives neither of us have a favorite quote when written down it's not like a quotable show yeah uh so that's fine um favorite character and arc who you got uh nick on both counts um I mean, first things first, I am a Nick Stan yeah. first and a, and a human being second. Um, I think he's he's a great boyfriend to Charlie. He's so supportive. He, like I said, he notices when Charlie's going through something, that moment where he, um, you know, sits Charlie, Charlie down and is like, when you're going through something, like, please tell me, I want to be there for you and help. Yeah. Um, also his journey, um, you know, not being quite ready to come out, kind of slowly telling people. And then at the end, making his big announcement, you know, on Instagram, going Instagram official, um, confronting his dad and his brother, like that moment where he tells his brother, like, are you 10 years old? Like, shut up. Yeah. Um, it's great. Just everything, everything, Nick. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I think that he's, um, a doll in the books, but his mm-hmm. his character on the show is is so Kit beautifully Connor. expanded and kick Connor so he's so good good we like gosh he's got the face he does him. the face like the looks you know yeah he's Ugh. just he's everything he's, he's so good um I totally agree with you on all counts I would like to briefly shout out Tori um who we didn't talk about yet uh this episode but I think that she has some really great moments um in this season a lot of them are straight from the book like mm-hmm. the please stop say uh please stop saying what is he say? is shagging no he doesn't say shagging the dad uh hanky panky thank you thank yeah. you um that is great but i love how um she handles the whole dinner david mm-hmm. situation too genuinely terrifying i love yeah, that her. absolutely um 
let's talk about the swoon. Um, I have a couple of things here. I kind of already talked about, like, I just loved all of Alan Tao's Paris date. Mm-hmm. So good. So good. Um, I have another one too, but what you got? Um, I mean, really, I don't have anything specific. I mean, there is, like I said, that moment where Nick sits Charlie down and he's like, please let me know when you're struggling with these things. Um, and then just literally every time Nick looks at Charlie, just across the board, every single time, I don't know what magic Kit Connor is wielding, but it is too much. I can barely watch them in scenes together. Like we've We've talked before, like, um, I think in Red, White, and Royal Blue, where they had that scene that was almost so intimate that I couldn't look at it. That's, like, literally every time Nick looks at Charlie, yes. I'm like, I am intruding. I am an intruder. I should not be here. It's um, a lot for yeah. me to handle. Um, <laughs> um, no, I totally agree. I have one specific moment written down, and this is also an example of kind of what I was talking about, that the show kind of is, like, they're a little bit more, like, actually like into each other like in 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 there like you can tell what's what's going on between them it's like after the hickey debacle um and they're on the eiffel tower and charlie's like maybe we shouldn't be hanging out right now like more people might think it's you and nick's like you do know it was me right stop and charlie's (laughs) so charlie's like yeah i think i remember you being there and Kate Connor does this like bite his lip and stares at Charlie's mouth type thing. And I think I audibly squealed. And like I'm trying not to right now, just in you recounting it. Here's what I want for Kate Connor. I want 10 years from now where I'll feel a little bit more better about um watching him in a romantic thing. Mm-hmm. But I yes. want him to be um the youngest Bridgerton, Gregory Bridgerton. In yes. the last season. Of oh my God, he would be perfect. <laughs> he would be so good. I want him to be a Bridgerton, but like Netflix, need a little more time. Netflix crossover, please make this happen. Lock him down you're... for a contract for the next decade so we can oh have that. Ooh. Right. Yes. Good. All right. Uh, we both have a couple of friendship swoons. Yeah. Okay. So my friendship swoon is this is again a total. Um, show creation but Mm -hmm. um the love locks on the bridge in paris uh charlie has one you think he's gonna put him and uh nick on it but he has a really nice moment with with tau and he puts charlie loves tau on the lock i love that yeah this i mean this is i have one too but this is the correct answer yeah um it's it's really good yeah i mean i love their little like uh, spin the bottle moment too that was Mm -hmm. very cute yeah there's just uh, like and really good I love t- Nick's reaction to it too. Just perfect oh, friendship yeah. goals. It really is. And like I think too, Tao is another example of a character that they've just fleshed out so well. And like mm-hmm. the 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 conflict of him like accidentally outing Charlie is handled differently in the show a little bit in just a way that I think works much better and in like their conflict is more rooted in like interpersonal. Mm-hmm. stuff versus just like this one thing um that happened which obviously is a big thing but it just is um i just i, I like the portrayal more in the show oh, yeah i also don't like that like they have this huge friendship conflict thing over what is essentially a total accident somebody overhearing yeah. something that they shouldn't have right yeah um, exactly yeah no yeah i agree um and also i like that there's that they've seeded a lot here for for future conflicts for Tao. like it's mm-hmm. not all you know happy sails into the sunset but like yeah. there's there's good things and then there's possibly some interesting conflict things happening yeah. too yeah um and then my friendship swoon is everybody pitching in to get darcy the prom outfit of her dreams that yeah. she deserves because she deserves to feel comfortable and beautiful yeah. at her prom as well um yeah. and yeah it's great um, that's a good segue into best and worst adaptation choice because one of the things that or i guess the thing i put for best adaptation choice is the inclusion of prom which is not in the books and um it's I like when British shows like do. I was gonna prom, say because prom like, isn't American. really a thing there, right? Yeah, yeah uh, but it's 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 just like a really sweet um, vehicle for all these kids to kind of have all these conflicts come to um head at the end, and um I thought that was great. And then how they ultimately all do find Darcy and and have their great 
um, moment together with Taylor Swift playing in the background. <laughs> um, it's it was just really great. I I loved it a lot. Yeah, yeah, I agree. About that Taylor Swift thing, I saw I think a tweet or something where somebody was like, "Oh, like how much did they have to pay to get a Taylor Swift song in here?" And one of the producers or somebody or showrunner maybe was like. Um, no, not really. Like we, you know, she saw this scene and was like, absolutely use my song. So great. That's great. That's awesome. It was just, it was such a fun surprise because at the same time I was watching the summer I turned pretty, which has like every episode has multiple like daily soft drops in it. Um, it's part of what makes that show so great. So I was just like, so excited to hear her in this context. It was, that's another show I've been waiting to to start but uh, my kid has told me i watch too many teenager shows well, and too many british shows so that's like everything off of everything that i watch so he's maybe right well <laughs> he no. possibly has a point <laughs> every time he walks in and i'm watching something and there's like somebody with a british accent he just looks at me like mm-hmm, yeah <laughs> he's got he's got beef with england though for some reason i mean there, okay. there are plenty of reasons to have beef with england sure. like, historically but <laughs> I think he's his beef with England is mostly just like for funsies, like it's it's okay, like a meme great. at this point. Sure, but, um, yeah. I mean, I appreciate that. My every any like teen drama that comes out, like my husband gives me shit over to it. He's like, mm. "This looks like a a you show." I'm like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> no, I'm like all the teen shows, and I actually found, um, you know, this is could be like a, a thesis that someone could write or something. Like, I actually found it very hard to watch the summer I turned pretty this season um because it was basically a bunch of rich kids like trying to save a house um that was in their family and like trying to get into their trust funds early and things like that that's the type of teen drama that i cannot really relate to Mm -hmm. or don't um find as interesting anymore compared to something like heartstopper that has a lot of like i don't want to say real problems well, the, you know what I think. I'm a little it glib because yeah. in that show, it it the house is representative of, of a family member who's passed away, etc. There's a lot going on there, but it's just like a different thing, right? Yeah. So, um, and that's why again, let's circle it back here. We have a wide podcast. That's why we have really tried to hone in on um the great stuff that the genre has to offer, the important stuff, the meaty stuff, because it's there mm-hmm. and it's it's can't all be oversimplified, right. um, just because it's teens. So take well, that. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And not <laughs> and not for no- <laughs> not for nothing too. Um I think I think for a lot of people, um, and like and definitely for me, watching this kind of like Heartstopper, this kind of like queer joy, like young queer joy thing is like, you know, not to be too like, I don't know saccharine about it myself but it is it's like you know healing the inner like queer child I was that didn't have this kind of media that went to high school every day and got called a dyke you know it's um this kind of stuff where where you I don't know where queer media is celebrated a lot more these days than it ever was and it exists a lot more these days than it ever did when I was in high school so yeah maybe maybe this is you know 15 16 year old Tasia trying to get to to experience this joy that didn't really exist absolutely back then here here yeah. also i just want to be british okay like i'm gonna <laughs> lay off me lay off me just you know he, has he even tried to watch bridgerton no no how dare he I, absolutely i don't want to watch that with him actually <laughs> never never <laughs> And I actually remember getting like really mad at my husband because he was like in the room once when I was watching Bridgerton and I think it was like some big moment and I was like, I do not want your commentary on this. Get out. <laughs> anyway. Uh, we like what we like. It's fine. It's what it is. And I think we yeah. like good stuff. We have great taste. So yeah. Um and there's no one here to argue with us. So hey. There you we're, go. We're right. We're retarded. So <laughs> um well, that was a I did not see face going there, but let's bring it on back to adaptive choices. Um, prom, that was mine. What's mm-hmm. your favorite? Um, I I have the towel glow up. Yeah, which obviously oh, I remember so much of our commentary from last season <laughs> was just Tao's hair and how 
fucking awful it was. Yeah. Um, got yeah. what a glow up. Seriously. And William William Gow is our. I mean, he's a he's a gorgeous human being. Yeah. And with that glow up, Jesus, it's too much. Yeah. Um, I I mentioned this before, but like uh, giving Charlie's um hairy confrontation, um, making mm-hmm. Ben instead was great. Uh, yeah, the expansion of of the side characters, and that's that's it. And then like my one like a bad thing was was yeah the the kind of overly wholesome vibe of it sometimes it seems yeah. a little bit a little bit too child like yeah um my worst adaptive choice is making charlie do poorly in school mm-hmm. i hate it and i don't know why i hate it i have a little mm-hmm. bit of a hard time articulating it maybe because i was a very type a student and when and would never have would never that. done that <laughs> yeah. but that's but i think that that's one of the things that i really always related to charlie in the book is very on top of it and actually again i was looking back at, season, at volume three today he's like telling nick left right and center that he can't hang out with him because he has exams because you're younger he gets out of school later than nick and like it's just all mm-hmm. their text messages being like i miss you and he's like i know i really have to study i need to be responsible and i just think it's just it's like low hanging fruit on a show that I don't think um, really often Reaches stoops to the that, lowest yeah. common denominator. Like it's just so typical, like mm-hmm. good student loses his way thanks to a boy that he likes. And I just right. think it's stupid and I don't like it. And I think oh. that it, it, why can't we have this like smart kid have all these other issues and and deal with his boyfriend trying to come and not out have to worry about academics eating disorder and like not have um like being a fuck up in school be like another thing on top of it mm-hmm. um and it's not even just like grades slipping slipping but just like blatantly not doing homework like again you guys just like don't relate to it like i've never like not done an assignment just for like funsies <laughs> like i don't yeah. understand um but i just i think that i i think i just cling to like bookish smart characters a lot of times too because they remind me of myself at that age and i just it's it's a frustrating um thing to change and this was something that kind of came up a lot in season one too where they kind of seemed like they dumbed charlie down a little bit and i don't care for that so they i don't feel like his personality really reflected that in the same way that it did in season one but it's just a continuation of like not that i want to say like he's like a lesser like person or character because of it but it's just like let him be smart let him like be on top of his shit at school because i think too a lot of times kids who can't control other aspects of their life do tend to narrow in on the things they can control and like for charlie that's school Mm -hmm. so anyway i'm gonna step off my soapbox now what what, um pisses me off the most about it honestly is the fact that they don't do anything with it yeah. Um, if they wanted to do something with that, fine. If they wanted to like build it up into something else, have it come to some sort of head, fine. But they do not do anything with it. Like it's a, it's a plot point for like a couple of episodes, and then he finishes his paper, and that's the end of it. Yeah, it's literally the end of it. It's pointless. Um, and and additionally, like it's, I think it's there to kind of make his mom give his mom a reason to like wear yeah. at Nick when that reason doesn't need to exist because um, she can just be the kind of person that we discussed yeah. earlier that you know yeah. is only okay with her gay kid in theory. Um, like, yeah, it's, they... it's pointless. They didn't do anything with it. It's just. Like, did they? Why, just why was it there for a couple episodes? They want to have that parent-teacher conference, like. Uh, montage or whatever like for whatever reason get more okay. FaceTime for the teachers I don't know um, I just don't I don't care for it um, let Charlie be smart it was it was pointless anyway so yeah All right. um, but I I mean, like, that's like a minor because <laughs> as you said it didn't go anywhere um, I'm so happy to, to know that um, they greenlit season two and three simultaneously it it doesn't seem to me um based on following al sussman on instagram that like and i, I think this is the case for a lot of like uk specific shows that like she's a wga member because she posted like about writing um mm-hmm. 
season three. Um, so that's good that it's something that's like moving forward. Um, and what I assume is, um, oh, um, not a way that's crossing the picket lines or anything like that. Uh, so it's just nice to have something to look forward to, um, in that regard. And yeah, there's, there's so much more story to come. Um, and I'm excited for it. So the show has covered up to volume three. Um, how many, aren't there going to be like six total volumes and then that's it. It's very confusing to me because like the books and the like chapters in the webcomic don't add up or don't like, like volume one is chapters one and two. Yeah. So I don't know. We're on chapter seven um, in the webcomic right now. Um, there are four volumes of Heartstopper out. Yeah. So there are four volumes in the series. Um, a fifth book is due. It says in 2023. Volume five is set to release on December 7th, while a sixth and final volume has been announced. So I- yeah, I know that she's wrapping it up, getting close to wrapping mm-hmm. it up, um, which is good. And there's more, like, I think we talked about this last time too, there's more Nick and Charlie out there. They have some novellas and appearances and other of her, her stories. Um, so that's great. I have to catch up on the webcomic, actually. I sometimes I like to read weekly and then other times I like to just save and, and binge. Maybe I'll binge after this. That's what I do with Laura Olympus. I don't know the last time I, I usually like, I'll take like a year break from Laura Olympus and then come back and do it all in like 30 minutes. And then I'm so far <laughs> behind. Again. I'm so far behind on that. Yeah. Too. Well, Alice has taken a lot of breaks, rightfully so, as has um, Rachel Smythe with Laura Olympus. And mm-hmm. um, I don't, I, I feel like, um, Heartstopper has stayed a little bit more consistent than Lore has and makes me want to read it a little bit more. I don't even know up to what point I read Heartstopper. I mean, it was like years ago. Well, you know what? So probably not that Just get on the Webtoon app and go flip, 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 flip. Well, I have the first four volumes, which is like all that's been published so far, at least like physically. So I I own the physical copies, but frankly, I do like any webcomic that is then published i usually tend to like the webcomic more like the art is just mm. usually a little crisper yeah that's true um anyway so wrap it up man get us in front of a live mic and you never know what you're gonna get dear listeners um <laughs> so I'm not going to make any promises about when we're going to be back again. Uh, this was definitely one of the things we wanted to hit this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did. Uh, and so we'll talk amongst ourselves about some other things that maybe we can come back to you and talk to you about sometime soon. As you heard, Tasia um, is is very smart and busy with school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we have time to get our heads together and read again, We'd love to come back and, and chat with you all. If you have any suggestions for us of what you would maybe like us to cover, we're all ears. Shoot us an email if you'd like at actyourage.pod at gmail.com, or you can shoot us a DM on Instagram at actyourage. Um, you can shoot Tasia an Instagram DM at ragycakes or me at rin underscore reads. Look at me. I'm tying it up here. <laughs> Um, if you really desperately miss the sound of at least Tasia's voice, you can catch her on Fang Bangers, not Banger Bangers. I almost almost said Fang Tasia. (laughs) I'm just gonna let you carry this because I'm apparently not. I'm gonna be your one woman hype man for (laughs) I need you to be my Fang Bangers. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to Fang Bangers, not Banger Bangers. bangers. Not Banger Bangers. (laughs) What? True watch. True blood rewatch podcast. This is supposed to be a PG 13 podcast. Holy cannoli. <laughs> this one is true blood. True blood definitely bangers. is not. Definitely yeah. It's not a PG 13 uh, podcast. I mean, you can catch Tasia there. They're doing great stuff. <laughs> I think we're getting loopy. I don't know why. I don't know why. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to wrap it up here. Yeah. Um, thanks for listening. Before we uh, get even weirder. I'll talk to you later. Bye.
Bye. Bye.